0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Early Modern History, a channel on the New Books Network. My name is Mike Martocchio, and I'm coming to you from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I'm here with Nicholas Scott Baker. Nick is an Associate Professor of Early Modern European and Mediterranean History at Macquarie University in beautiful, warm Sydney, Australia. And he's also the author of a fabulous new book, I had the Opportunity to Read, called In Fortune's Theater, Financial Risk and the Future in Renaissance Italy, published by Cambridge University Press in 2021. This innovative cultural history of financial risk-taking in Renaissance Italy argues that a new concept of the future as unknown and unknowable emerged in Italian society between the mid-15th and mid-16th centuries, exploring the rich interchanges between mercantile and intellectual cultures underpinning this development in four major cities, Florence, Genoa, Venice, and Milan, Baker examines how merchants and gamblers, the futurologists of the pre-modern world, understood and experienced their own risk-taking and that of others. Drawing on extensive archival research, This study demonstrates that while the Renaissance did not create the modern sense of time, it constructed the foundation on which it could develop. The new concepts of the past and the future that developed in the Renaissance provided the pattern for the later construction of a single narrative beginning in classical antiquity stretching to the now. This book thus makes an important contribution toward laying bare the historical contingency of a sense of time that continues to structure our world in profound ways. Thank you, Nick. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Uh, thanks. Uh, I'm 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 well, Marty. Thank you, and thank you for the invitation to to join. It's a pleasure to to be here uh, to talk about the book. Yeah. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, I love the book. Everyone should uh, go out and buy it uh, immediately right now. It makes for a great uh, Christmas or or uh, end of year gift, but um, maybe to get us started. Tell us about the origins of this book. What, uh, what spurred your interest in the history of the future, right? We study the past, but you're interested in the history of the future. So tell us about the, uh, what spurred this? Uh, yeah, look, it, it took a, um, it actually, it, it took a while for me to put
1: it all together. Um, I was, uh, I was in the, the US in in 2007 um, 08 finishing finishing grad school and and then uh, and then I was in a visiting assistant professor position. Uh so I, you know I, I sort of got to witness firsthand the the evolving subprime mortgage crisis and uh, and you know everything that that followed on from that uh in in the middle of, of 2008 uh and so, and and I sort of I remember sort of watching all of that with a kind of a, a, a fascinated horror at how it had all uh, occurred, how how sort of risk systems had got so out of uh, so out of balance. So I, you know, I mean, it, that and that sort of formed formed a background. And then, I mean, to be honest, I you know, I was I was sort of interested, You know, I mean, that was kind of I, I was fascinated of, with how. You know the the Great Recession or the 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 GFC or whatever whatever we want to call it uh, was um, affecting my life, how it was affecting everybody's lives. But that 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 sort of was was in the background, and I was sort of stumbling around trying to find find a new topic. You know, yeah, right, right. All my dissertation, and and uh, and was was sort of progressing through the book on that. And I was I was just sort of reading um, reading stuff uh randomly in the archive to a certain extent um and of course martin this is where you enter the story oh i didn't even realize this. i hadn't even expected this this is great <laughs> and uh so i was yeah i was um i was just reading i was reading letters uh in the, the archive in the state archive in florence one day letters from a, an agent of the the uh, medici duke of florence who was at uh, the, the vice um regal court in naples uh, and in one particular letter this agent s- devoted a great deal of length to talking about the gambling that was happening in the court uh, and um, you know who was winning who was losing how much you know what you know and and you know all the sort of details uh and it was uh, it was that moment one of those moments in the archive where it was just like i thought huh, i don't understand what's going on it's like i don't i don't understand why He's talking so much uh, about gambling, and and you know this is then you, Maybe you remember Marty. I, we actually spoke. We went for a drink, <laughs> that, that, oh, that <laughs> <laughs> and and had it. And I remember talking to you about this. Um, so I initially thought I was going to, you know, I was going to be writing uh, a history of gambling in Renaissance Italy, um, but then I realized, uh, believe it or not, gambling is actually less interesting. Um, it seems I think because of the, the nature of the archival sources. Um, but I just sort of gradually realized there was a bigger question. um and that question was about how Italians thought about uh, the future uh, and how they thought about risk. And this sort of develops out of how you know it, Renaissance Italy, a late medieval and Renaissance Italy, um has a you know has a, a significant place in in traditional. Uh, Eurocentric histories of capitalism. You know, it's one of the, the sort of the key locations in which modern European capitalism is is understood to have developed, and and so how modern attitudes towards financial risk uh, develop. So I, I sort of started putting that together, and that's it. It, it, it was a it was a very gradual evolution. I uh, it's probably. Two or three years before I sort of had a coherent sense of, of, of what I was doing. <laughs> so there's a lesson there for, you know, for I think for, for people, you know, for other scholars, perhaps, you know, don't worry, but, it
0: takes you a long time to work out what you're trying to do. Okay, yeah I, I well i I feel like I uh you know being there uh, such an inspiration for the book I feel like I should be getting royalties from it you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, well uh i I mean it's it is uh, like I said it's a wonderful book and i I think you know most people who who would listen to this interview probably have a sense of the Italian Renaissance being related to new ways not so much about thinking about the future right but that the Renaissance is all about thinking about the past, right? That the, the past is somehow, that the Greco-Roman past is somehow newly important in the Renaissance. Um, so, I, I guess a question I have is: just before we kind of get into the meat of the book, how did have people, scholars in the past, thought about what, how people in the Renaissance thought about the future, right? It kind of how have scholars approached this this question, this problem that you're that you ask. How how do people In the Renaissance, how do Renaissance Italians think about the future? How have scholars approached that before? And so, then, what's kind of novel about this book? Uh, Yeah. yeah. So I think uh,
1: I mean, what's I think what is what is what the contribution that the book makes is uh, that my book makes is uh, that it's like the the first systematic and and coherent examination of how Italians what about the future um in the period of the Renaissance in in the period that, that we that we call the Renaissance um it's certainly there are there are scholars who have um, has have looked at this uh question before and, and in particular um art historians there's it, it, there are several works uh by art historians who consider this um uh Simona Cohen uh, who's the University of uh, Tel um has published a wonderful book about time, about images of time uh, in Italy, and so there's there's a section uh, in that where she she several talks about, um, oh, and she doesn't exactly talk about the future, but she, she's talking about images that be, uh, are generative of ideas about the future. Um, and Jesson and Kelly, um, who wrote a, a great dissertation on. Uh, prediction on um and the future in northern European art that, that hasn't been that hasn't been published yet. I mean she's published articles but she hasn't published the gissi- dissertation uh, as a whole. Um and of course sitting sitting behind all of that, um there are, you know, sort of the the big sort of, you know, conceptual historians of time like Reinhard uh um, who who sort of taught you who does you know his his idea of um the future is that you know there there isn't really a sense of of um the unknown future in in europe until on um, until uh the sort of modernity until the the 18th century uh he does you know he talks a little about about Renaissance Italy, but he, you know, it's sort of this transitional period, but it's still largely part of this. Um, what he argues, it's this sort of static medieval concept of of temporality. Um, so there's there's some work by some by some scholars, but but most of that work is is really on the um, most of the work that really engages with the idea of the future is. Uh, work by art historians. They're, they're, I mean, and there is a there's a lot of work, of course, on on financial risk taking uh, by economic historians um, of all sorts of stripes. Um, but no no one study had sort of tried to um, to put the story put the narrative together as as a whole and 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 uh, tried to understand sort of holistically how ideas about the future had had developed not only in cultural aspects like art but also in in the experience of of commerce and of gambling and just of, of every the sort of probabilistic assessments of, of everyday life that you know we all make sort of probabilistic assessments um, all the time every day and so yeah you know, i was trying to sort of catch at that level but also uh, put it together with um with the sort of the, the cultural level of and um, culture as well
0: yeah i mean i i think you you kind of hit because the 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 book really is divided between you have the kind of everydayness of this right and then you also look at, at high art and uh ev- seemingly every thinker who anyone has ever heard of in the renaissance is talking about this Um, so it really, I mean, it just, the, the amount of sources that you look at is amazing. It's really good. Uh, yeah. And you know, you, you start the book and just to, just to kind of get into it a bit, you, you start the book, I think a really clever way you look at two groups of people who, um, who basically are making a living in the middle of the 16th century out of their knowledge of this kind of new knowledge that they have about the uncertain future, which are, um gamblers and merchants so let's maybe take a minute and kind of start with with those two groups uh actually let's start with the first group specifically uh gamblers can you tell uh listeners just how prevalent <laughs> gambling was uh, gambling in the renaissance it seems like it's happening all the times and what sort of games are people playing and what it there's more to gambling than just the money on the table you argue so maybe get into that a bit
1: um yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So yeah. So yeah. It does. It does feel like gambling is uh, is everywhere. Gambling uh, seems
0: to be sort of ubiquitous uh, and 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 damage. Uh, in- I mean, they're gambling on the than the gender of children. I mean, this is like gender reveal parties up to a yeah. different level, right? I mean, it's really yeah. gambling on everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. P- yeah. They pretty much you, know, you,
1: you sort of get the sense that that um, Italians in the fifteenth and sixteenth century would would bet on just about anything. As you said, yeah, like the the sex of of, the, of an unborn child, oh, the the death of a prince, which of course is a really dangerous, potentially dangerous thing to, mm. to gamble gamble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the identity of the next pope—that was like a huge. There's an industrial complex about that bent on on who the, the next pope would be. Uh and and everybody, uh, everybody gambles. Men gamble, women gamble. Um, relatively poor cool people gamble, wealthy people gamble. Uh, and and so it's it's not just that it's um pervasive but it it, it crosses uh gender lines, it crosses it crosses across well, social starting when we come across about uh, yeah yeah in the in the artsy you come across poor widows who are old being flinched in that um uh, you you come across you come across women who are fascinatingly ven and there's several women who seem to be sort of entrepreneurs again with a sort of running gambling gambling schools, uh, not teaching gambling but in a places but, for people to, to go and gamble. Uh, and then you know as I you know the, the sort of the starting point of all of this the the, the gambling side of the us really for work in Naples you have uh, princes and and members of nobility uh, gambling extraordinary sums, like lifetime dissolves worth of work for, for ordinary, uh, for ordinary people. Um, so, so, I mean, so there's betting going line like people, people bet on, on all sorts of things. Um, they also do, uh, do play games until the 15th century. The most common game is, is a dice game, uh, in which in Italian is called Zara. Which is is played with the free dice, and you, you basically you're you um you're depending on the the likelihood of a number being rolled. So of course that means that the really low and really high numbers, three, four, 17, and eighteen, uh, which you know you can only there's only one possible roll to roll those numbers. That means they're much higher state, it. it's the it's the numbers in the middle which are a, which are a safer bet. Um. And because it's uh, sort of it's slightly tangent, I guess, but because this game is so prevalent, this is the sort of game that you see uh, when you see images of the crucifixion and the soldiers' scandal. Yes, you do. You or, mentioned this. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's what they're that's what they're that's what they're playing. Yeah, Dante mentions it um, mm-hmm. because it's so common. Um, if you get this. There, there's a ready made body of data for for early sort of mathematical forays into. Uh, you know the early forays into mathematical probability uh, by people like Girolamo Cardano and and Galileo. Uh, yeah, that's that's what they base their issue initial thinking on because they've sort of got this body of 80 to people play by the third Um from the fifteenth century. Then fine cards start to appear in Italy. Um, they the history is a little obscure, but it seems fairly certain they're introduced um, by the Mediterranean from from somewhere in the Islamic world. Um, that this where my bats then come into into Europe. Uh, and so then we start to get proto forms of games like that we still play today, like Open Black White, you now they various forms of bees these. Uh, and this is sort of much a much more genteel and sociable form of gambling, gambling. you know, dice fans can be called anyone on the street, here's all more on bets. Um, they also <clears throat> they also bet on table games like chess and backgammon. Um, really. Um, so Cardano is just like this inventor. He's a physician and he's a bit of a Map but he's also a, a compulsive gambler. He last stage, you covered the story of how he sort, of, sort of made a living betting on games of chess at one stage uh, in his life. Uh, and yeah, as you as you said in your question, it's not um, it's it's not just about money there are all sorts of um, stakes of sort of uh, face
0: and honor and, and yes, yes. And involved. that was what was so interesting in, uh, in the book is it's, it's not about the money, but there's so much more about this.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I do think it, it sort of, it depends, it, it, it does sort of depend on, on who you, on who you are. I mean, I think at a certain level, yeah, it's um, it's it's so, it is about sort of honor and face and and and, and social status at every level. But of course, but poor people gambling, um, there's you know the financial loss. The financial stakes are higher. Um, so you know, for them, it, I think it is a little more about the money. Um, and uh, but yeah, so, you know people, once we start leading up the social status, then it really it's not about the money at all. It's about more constructing an appropriate self-control for signers um, as someone who is indifferent to financial loss and, and doesn't care if all those. Hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, it's uh, I, you know in in that I think it's in that chapter where you're talking about different types of uh, th- these different types of games that people are playing. That I I have to say one of the, <laughs> the most fascinating sources, one of the most fun sources that you looked at. Uh, which was this this really funny sounding um, text by the satirist Pietro Arantino called "Le Carte Parlanti," the Talking Cards, uh, from 1543. Uh, it, tell us just you know just in a, a, a minute or two just about that source because it looked it just looked like it was so much fun to read and find and and talk about because it's right it's about talking it's about playing cards that are giving that are kind of. Mi- Making an argument. Well, you you describe it look yeah, <laughs> um, you 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 know it better than I do. So yeah yeah yeah. It was a it was, a, it was really fun to
1: to out uh, and and to work with yeah. So it's, yeah, it's this text all about the, the 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 talking cards and and so the conceit of the text is that it features a um it's a dialogue uh, and it's so it's a dialogue between an an actual historical person on um, a, a a known a, a sort of well-known card maker um who in the text is called francesco padavano uh, so it's a dialogue between him and and a set of cards that suddenly sort of becomes sentient and animated and, <laughs> and, and as a conversation <laughs> i'm like well they talk about the history of cards and they talk about and they talk about um you know whether whether gambling was bad and then you know and, that, and and it sort of then sweeps through all these. You know, they talk about, you know, the, the, the Pope, and they talk about all these Italian princes and bullers and their attitude and how they are gambling. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And the real challenge, I think, with using that
0: list was not getting too carried away. I think... You you feel like you could just write so much on that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Earlier drafts, I had, I had you know, sort of larded with all these preferences, and it didn't you know, like I've got to pull pull some of this out. I think one of the things that I lost was, was actually, it's my favorite story that he tells is about a man who's, who's gambling and having lost all his money, like he stakes a tooth on his next bet. And, and the the guy he's playing with, you know, takes, accepts the bet. Uh, and so the, the, the the first guy loses the tooth and the winner insists on collecting it. So, so they go off to the bar, the surgeon and, uh, and um, but the winner, the winner is just like, why, why? I want my tooth. And so the the loser is like, oh well, actually this tooth's rotten. pulled. Oh, this might outbeat. <laughs> so the barber surgeon died. So the moral, you know, the moral of course is that, that the winner has lost all sense of perspective, and he's just driven by avarice, and he can't. He's just, like, oh, I've got to have the tooth. I want the tooth. I want the tooth. And so the real winner, you know, the winner is is the loser, yeah, because he gets a tooth for free. Um, because, of course, the barber's like, well, I'm not pulling it out unless you pay me. So the, the winner pays him to pull out. The- <laughs> <laughs> and Those what's, what's really fascinating is about, like, it's, it's like it's this, this deeply satirical and it has some sort of outrageous stories, but its central attitude toward gambling is this, like the same as sort of serious works like Castiglano's Book of the Court. Here. It's like you know, what matters is self-control and being disinterested in the art. Like that, that tooth story sort of encapsulates, you know, that that's this guy's a bad, he's a bad gambler because he, the, the guy who insists on collecting the tooth is a bad gambler because he, he, he's lost all sense of perspective. Uh, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. I just had, I just had to control how much I used.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, I mean, it's great. Yeah. Um, the, so that, the, those are the, that's the first two chapters, right? Are the, are on gambling. Um, and then you move to that's the, sort of the first group of these what you call the experts in in futurity these these people who are gamblers and merchants so let's if we could take a couple of minutes and talk about uh, the second group so so merchants um, you know specifically in chapter four you kind of dive deeply into a source that I've used and a lot of other people have used but. Um, are really really rich, which are uh, merchant correspondents. Uh, so I wonder if you can kind of take us through the different types of terms that that merchants would use to describe the future. So there, there are, you know, there's fortuna, that is kind of fortune, but then there's ventura, occasione, all these different rischio, all these different terms that are related to the future. So maybe kind of parse those. You know, you don't have to parse every one of those because it's, it's a lot. Um, but just the, the, how that correspondence sort of sounds and, and what it was like to use those kind of sources.
1: Um, yeah, I, I mean, as you see, as, as you said yourself, yeah, merchant sound, merchant correspondence is, is, kind of, fat, I, I it faster than, I mean, some, some of it's just dull, but, but then it's, some, it's also just, just fascinating, like it's, but there's such rich sources. Um. And yeah, so I sort of, I, I became interested in that, that, you know, merchants had this, um, I, I realised merchants had this really uh, uh, complex vocabulary of and talking about time, obviously, merchants are constantly thinking about time in terms of uh, long distance trade, long distance commerce is all about, you know, on um, the arbitrage basically, you know, buy buy something one place low and, and hopefully sell at some loss at a high price. But there's there's that there's always a time factor involved uh, you know to ship the goods, particularly in the sixteenth century. Ruib um talks about you know the the, the the geography is is the the enemy because it's it's just it takes so long for the things to be ruled. Um so yeah so they have this this, this sort of uh, multiple uh vocabulary um they they think about well, Fortuna, obviously, and this is this is like the the heart of the book itself is this idea of the way that, that Fortuna becomes this this figure of the the unknown and unknowable quality of the future. Um, but what interested me in particular is actually that it's not a word that merchants actually use very much. Um, except sometimes to to refer to storms at sea. It, has, it also has this old, this old, and the storm at sea, and, and you, occasionally saw and new wisdom looping at sense. Um, what the, the word that seen uh, more common in merchant correspondence was just being um, which in, in some ways is, is uh, sort of a synonym and will appear in Italian dictionaries, being sort of a synonym but for an um but in mercantile correspondence in the sixteenth century it, it, it seems to refer um to to a speculative
0: but hopefully it's used in the sense of this is this is a speculative but hopefully profitable beach. Right. It's not Fortuna. Because I always I always put the two together in my head and, and as I was reading a book I was like, Oh the, these are these are actually different concepts, these are different terms, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's was certainly certainly within um within the mercantile but yeah the way merchants talk about it yeah they they clearly distinguish between the chance Mentor <laughs> uh, is something something that's so it's it's risky there's there's a risk to it it's speculative um but because it's got the chance of profit we, we should we should grab a hold of it and and we should do it. you know they talk about, you know I'm, i'll I'll look for something with, with you know with, with more'll'll look, I'll look for the you know, I'll invest the funds even more what what promises the yes Benruder um, they then they, they talk about um, occasione, um, which which has a has a sort of a similar sense of being a a, um, a financial opportunity, um, uh, but it's in the way that merchants sort of the way that they sort of pass this, the way that they use this, and you know occasione uh, seems to refer to something that that's purely uh, sort of. Uh, material and, and contained in the human world. So so an occasion might be really well priced wool or, or or coral or some something like that. Whereas there's a sense and see this in the letters, there's a sense that ventura, that that's an opportunity of ventura might be something that's sent by God. There's often this a common phrase is hopefully God will send ventura. Um whereas god never seems to send a kazi on it that's, that's i <laughs> think that. that's just something that is there in the world uh to me to me seeds um so then you know a kazi on an are like you know the sort of pretty, pretty positive potentially profitable still risky but speculative against the um quality aspects of the fact that the future is unknown that it's the space in which uh this time in which you might be able to make money um, and and riskier is risk is the negative aspect of all that. You know, refers to to the potential sort of unknown hazards of, of any commercial venture. Um, pirates, bad work, that a market just collapsing before you know before the goods get there. So you know, we, we lose, you lose out, or or a market being flooded with you know, there's there's too much oil olive oil in the market so you, or you can't sell it for the price that you're hoping for. So, so, you know, all of that's, that's all of these sort of inherent um, risks of any sort of commercial venture uh, capture them in this notion of, of riskier. Well, so, yeah, this this sort of multivalent um, vocabulary that, that, that by using it in very particular ways to, to think about the fact that, you know, that, that all of their all of their business ventures largely are based on time. Whether it's shipping goods or whether it's speculating on currency exchanges or lending money, it's it's all well. There's a time component
0: to all that. So, no are constantly thinking about the future. Yeah, hey, I, I want to just you you mentioned how, how, a little bit there the role of faith that that I one of the important one of the important things that you do in the book is you argue, and I think very, very convincingly, that it's not as if this new concept of the future replaces the old one. It's that they, it kind of overlaps with it and it exists at the same time. Um, and you you said there where you were talking that there's still sort of a role for God here in, in Ventura, like God, uh, God grant us Ventura. So where is, uh, faith is all over these correspondence, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, you're very, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's,
1: I think that's one of the things that makes Merth and Todd Correspondents so fascinating, because on on the one level, they're these, you know, hard-headed, calculating uh, individuals, dude, we we could easily fool ourselves into thinking I sort of have a sort of a, you know, a 20th, 21st century modern take on, on the world but they're but they're also you know they didn't live in a world of faith and uh, and and faith is um saturates their lives and saturates saturates uh their correspondence yeah they'd the ultimate um the the ultimate and the best investment that any the italian merchant any christian italian merchant can make in this period is is they're facing god so that's all all the account books open with an invitation to the divine to to, you know, to bless whatever the being recorded is. Uh, so th- there's a the, yeah, there's this real sense that okay, we can we can take out narrow fund insurance and that's gonna mitigate against some of some of the risk, but ultimately it's it's all in God's hands. And I think to, I mean for to, for many of us, I think that there's that it seems almost contradictory or it seems like they're they're holding two contradictories in their Two contradictory ideas in their in their heads at once, but uh, they're, they're you know they're obviously very comfortable with this. They don't have a problem yet with moving between more than one vision of the future. The future can be uh, unknown and unknowable,
0: but also ultimately determined by by God. Right at the right. same time. Um, no, it's so uh, it's that's one of that. I mean, I really really like that about it. That it, it just. Allowed for so many different possibilities and so much nuance, which um, which was just such a it was just so refreshing. I really I really like that. Um, that's that sort of covers you know, gamblers and merchants kind of cover the the first half, right? But then the second half, you you kind of and I should say that gamblers and merchants in the middle of the 16th century. So in the second half of the book, you sort of rewind the clock and take us back to how this new notion of the future as unknown time yet to come became established and beginning in the middle of the century before in the middle of the 15th century um so sort of walk us through that change over time how did this new idea of the future this is a big question but uh it's really what the second half of the whole book is about so you know feel free to kind of break it up um how did this new idea of the future actually kind of come about and uh and it's up to you how we can talk about the figure of fortuna because um, obviously Fortuna plays this really essential role in that. Um, so, uh, right, it, it's a big question, but uh, <laughs> see, what, see what, how you can <laughs> <Okay>. handle uh, uh- <laughs> Yeah,
1: thank you. Yeah, and, and actually, here I, I would like to acknowledge one uh, of the, the anonymous readers for the Cadwin team on the sort of the third submission said, you know, it's had lots of lovely things to say about it, but also saying, you know, you should think about. We should think about reversing the order of the book because it, it, it originally was just like a traditional chronological narrative and and the reader said we should think about reversing the reversing order and it, they had a particular suggestion i didn't quite do what they suggested but it, i think it'd be, it certainly
0: made Made for a better book, so I'm very, I'm yeah. very grateful for yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it's great because you sort of you're dropped right in the middle of it, right? you mean, really, these people know what they're doing, and they these gamblers and these merchants, and then you get to chapter five, and suddenly you're like, oh, okay, here, here we're gonna we're gonna wind the clock back, we're gonna understand how this world was created, actually, right? Which I thought it worked for me at least. So yeah, <laughs> uh, you That's... should thank the reviewer. You should thank the reviewer. It was, uh, yeah, it worked. It worked.
1: Um, yeah. So so how this how this change uh, comes about? So. So yeah, if we if we take it back in you know, a and I, and I think in the, in chapter five, I, I'd sort of take it back to um, to like that the late the late 14th century, and 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 so you know that period when you know it's like, well, is it the late Middle Ages or is it the early yeah, that Yeah, uh, without going into that. But so I, I, what I what I argue is that it, it, at that point in time, late 14th, early 15th century, um, mm-hmm. there there are sort of two ways that um uh that Italians, uh Christian Italians are, are thinking about the future. Uh, and and they're thinking about it in terms of providence, in terms of so this this uh, this um which which aligns with 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 the teaching of the church, which is that we know what the future is. And and so we we, we know where we're where we're all done. that's what that's what the future holds. Um but then, of course, there's always the the, the problem of, of, of sort of contingency because you know that these aren't people in the past aren't stupid or foolish and and they know that you know sort sort of seemingly random things happen. So as well as probably then, um, Italian, Christian Italians think about uh, the future in terms of uh, Fortuna, um, which of course they they are they're borrowing the the, the sort of the figure of Fortuna on um, from. The ancient one. of okay. the the the, uh, the the Roman deity uh, was of of uh, Fortuna. Uh, so, I mean, if you have on the one hand, you have this um, this providential vision of the future. Of, of how we we know what the end of time is. We know where we're going. We are moving towards that. We know what the future is. Um, but then there's also the, this this figure of. Uh, Fortuna, who it captures then the sort of the instability and the uncertainty of, of everyday life. Uh, and until uh really the, the you know moving through the, the late 40 into the 15th century, throughout that period, um the way that the figure of Fortuna is is used, and imagine this is uh, as a moral force. And and so Fortuna is there to remind humanity um that what matters is actually the providential vision of the future. Okay, the, the, what the, if you're going to think about the future, you should be concerned about um, you know, the, your you know, what's going to happen to you after you die. And you shouldn't be concerned about eternity. Um and this is why then in this sort of that in the, the medieval uh, early uh renaissance period, the strongest association with fortuna is is, is the wheel of fortune. In fact this this image of you know of of this this regal woman turning a wheel, uh, which is uh, you know that that whole image of the wheel of fortune is about the fact that that all worldly goods, all your status, all your power, all your wealth um, will inevitably be lost. Okay, because the wheel is going to turn. You're gonna you're gonna fall down to the bottom and be crushed. Um, and so you should not worry about about those things. You should you should worry about. You know, eternity. We should worry about the the potential feature. future, uh, and then this this goes back, um, you know, centuries to to Boethius, so as sort of I think I suggest is one of the first um to people to sort of put this Christian moral force over over the figure of Fortuna. So so when when Petrarch, for example, writes uh, about Fortuna in the late 14th century, this this is what he's thinking about. He's thinking about this moral force um that is meant to guide humanity back to the right way of thinking which is don't worry about you know tomorrow don't worry about you know whether you're going to make money just worry about what's going to happen to your soul that's that's the future that you need to be concerned about um uh, but so so i um so i argue uh, that that around
0: the middle of the 15th century and this is you know this is really you know this sort of stuff is really how do you how but that that see I, I liked that where there wasn't these yeah i mean it really it's it that's what made it so good i thought that it that it it didn't kind of put these hard dates you know it, it, it really embraced the idea that there is no kind of firm boundaries that people are very flexible and that they can keep all these ideas in their heads simultaneously all the time right <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So
1: yeah, but yeah, so around the middle of the fifteenth century things these ideas are uh, that the meaning of Fortuna and, and the way that Fortuna is imagined uh, starts to starts to shift and starts to change. So so that means the way that um Christian Italians are thinking about the future is is starting to shift and, and starting to change. Uh and as I, I argue, I suggest in the book that this 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 these shifts are at least first uh, noticeable and traceable in in uh mercantile commercial thinking one of one of the first examples seems to be um the, the triumphal entry of um of alfonso of, of Aragon in, into Naples after he, after he conquers the, the kingdom of Naples in the mid 15th century and, and, and all the merchant communities of the city you know sort of participated in this triumph and one of the earliest examples of this new wave of thinking about Fortuna seems to be in the, the Florentine merchant community, flow, you know, has this this new image and this this new poem. Um and so and and so the the you know the the image and that the figure of Fortuna um starts to uh starts to refer to the you know the unknowability of the future. It always had sort of referred to the sort of one sanity of the future, but now it starts to refer to it more in a Speculative or, or potential profitable sense, and that the and we, then you start to see the way that merchants start to to talk about Fortuna, uh, that that the moral lesson of Fortuna starts to change, and and it's no longer about ignore the worldly stuff because it's no good for you. Just worry about you know what's going to happen in eternity. Um, it starts the moral lesson starts to be not missing out on opportunities it starts to be you need to recognize opportunities when they're there and and you need to seize a hold of them and and make money make money while you can so it's this really sort of speculative sense and and so fortuna um in the in the imagery on um, ceases to be by and large in the realest fortune never, never entirely disappears but fortuna uh ceases to be this this imperious woman presiding over a wheel, uh, and then instead becomes this this young, naked, alluring uh, woman who's who's um, moving very fast and and is unpredictable. She's generally sort of on a on a sphere, or sometimes a move the wheel, and that's like unpredictability. We don't know which direction she's going to she's going to go. Uh, often made with this this long full lock of hair that it sort of extends in front of her, um, and so uh, you know she's uh, there's a whole lot of sort of gendered aspects to something Yes, yeah, you and
0: you amazing. explore that, yeah, yeah, um, you explore that, yeah,
1: and uh, that it, this idea that you know you need to grab a hold of her and seize her um, if you're fast enough and if you're smart enough, that's what you can, can do. But but you've got to see her coming because that the, the lock of hair is in front. So you've got to grab it by the hair um as as she's coming towards you. If 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 she passes you by or changes direction, you'll miss out. So that that that's what the the moral the moral lesson um, becomes. You know, grab the opportunity when it's there for you. So um so sort of the, the, the you know these these two what had, had once been, been uh, that there is, there's two ideas of the future, uh, Fortuna and Providence, that had once sort of worked in concert. You know, Fortuna just reminded you that you should be thinking about, you know, the providential vision of the future. They they start to separate. And and so the future, it's in, in one way of thinking about it, that the future is becoming detached from ideas about eternity, that the Christian understanding of we know what the future is. Um, and, and instead is becomes a sort of a, a window, which is, is open for, for humanity to, to seize chances and to make good, uh, on, uh, opportunities. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and like, you know, it's, and people have always, you know, people have always thought about the future, um. But, but prior to the, the 16th century, European Christians and then Christian Italians always thought about it um, largely as something that was known, even if it was in, 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 an, obscure, in an obscure form. And, and so even if they're, they're making wills or they're, they're, you know, they're making donations uh or they're, they're drawing up contracts that's if that's also that's based on an idea that uh, we know what the future is that the rules and, and everything is going to be the same tomorrow uh, as it is today but then the idea that starts to change is that well actually maybe the rules can completely change. maybe you don't know uh what tomorrow is is going to be um and that's that's scary but it's also exciting and you know if you're yeah, you know, and the whole notion then around Portuna becomes if you're smart enough and fast enough, and um, you can you can profit from that. And you know, and sort of the the upheavals of the late fifteenth century, the, um, the the European encounter with the Americas, the the, the beginning of the Age of Encounters, and uh, the the French invasion of the Italian Peninsula. So that then the sort of subsequent collapse of the, the city State so system and all the chaos unleashed there. Um, fuels this sense of uncertainty and chaos and I think really um, helped crystallise new ideas about the future. It's not it's, you know, it didn't make Italians like think about the future differently, but they'd all begun to do that. But it really sort of um drove that transformation, helped uh, crystallize crystallize it. And this is where someone like yeah you know, someone
0: really well known
1: like Machiavelli.
0: I was going to say this this is your, you you do talk about. I feel like we have to talk about Machiavelli. We we're you know we're we're getting close to the end of time here. We have to talk about Machiavelli and Guicciardini, right? I mean you 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 have the he's uh, the two of them are the the last two thinkers that you go through, right? And you see how fully formed this new idea of the future is unknown, and not only the future is unknown, but that the future is an, is an opportunity and that you have to be ready for that and you have to anticipate it, right? Um, so, yeah, t- talk about uh, Machiavelli and Guicciardini uh, for a bit. That was, I tied up, the, uh, it's chapter eight, I think, it tied up the book really nicely.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is where, yeah, I mean, and, and, and maybe many that the listeners are familiar with, with Machiavelli, at least in, in sense senses. And I think this is this is where Machiavelli fits in, and that it, there's there's a current through all of his um, political and historical writing, which he, you know he's trying to make sense of a world in which the old rules don't seem to work anymore, and and so this idea of well change can happen, we get, you know, tomorrow might be completely different today, and, and that's that's why we need to be adaptable and, and flexible, and we need to you know that's why you know Turner is, is part of the political equation for Machiavelli, but, but you also need to be prepared and we need to, we need to understand that um, that things might change suddenly. And that, and I think in terms of the two of them, um, Machiavelli is a little more, a little more optimistic by and large. He sort of seems to think that while the, uh, while human beings will often get it wrong there is that they, they they certainly can potentially seize the opportunity of of this sort you of know, of uncertainty and 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 you know seize the day and make a difference uh, in the future whereas which to 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 me i think seems far more negative <laughs> it seems yeah, far, i'm aware yeah in the way, no, I, I' kind of I, messing I, up every time <laughs> There's was the they opportunity they're, they're, they're you know it doesn't matter
0: that 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 the the opportunity is there to be seen, still seen Ah, uh, yes will or just just mess it up. Which is that someone will screw it up. If that that's someone it will always mess it up, right? That these <laughs> kind of in, you know, whoever it's Piero Piero Di Lorenzo or so, someone will screw this up, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, yeah,
1: so yeah, So and yeah, that's you know, so you get this notion that by the by the early sixteenth century, yeah, you get you get thinkers like Machiavelli and Richard um, um, but, but, but others as, as well, who, who, who are starting to, you know, they're, they're operating in a world now in which this notion of the future has, has crystallized and, and they're, they're starting to, to integrate it into how they think and write about history and politics or also in one sort of, the
0: type of literary works that they're writing as well. Yeah. Uh. I, I, it, like I said, it's it, both of ending on them was, was a really nice way of doing it. And you really get a sense that this is only that your book is just the, the tip of the iceberg, that there's so much more work out there to be done on this topic that the, you, I mean, you, you even acknowledge it, you say, yeah, I'm just going to be you, you in a, a book. That's well over 200 pages long. You say I'm, I'm being cursory here. Right. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, you get a sense that there's so much more, um, so, you know, if someone was, let's say, starting out in graduate school and they were interested in these kind of questions that you tackle here about probability, the future risk in the Renaissance, uh, is there any any sources that you can think of that you kind of came across and you said, listen, I just had to table it. I didn't have time or um, and I should say, I'm, I'm going to be honest here that this is partly self-serving. I have an undergraduate student and I gave him your He's a finance major and I gave him your book. And he's writing, uh, he's now writing his final paper uh, on the question of probability, kind of looking forward in time. And he's found some sources, but I'm always, it's always good to give him more if I can give him more. Uh, so this is partly selfish that I'm, I'm trying to, to see what else there is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think,
1: um, yeah, I mean, as you, I think you said uh, right near the beginning, my something along the lines, of it, it, it is, there is a sense that just about, you know, Everybody, you could you could pick up by the 16th century, you can you could pick up just about any Italian author, and Fortuna will crop up somewhere. And so yeah, like I I had to be cursory, otherwise i would be a big number, um, and and really selective. Um, so I mean, there's work there, but I think there's I think there's probably a lot more work um that can be done uh, on mercantile correspondence, um, particularly. Uh, I mean again, I had to be selective and, and sort of table and choose choose case studies. I, I think there's there's certainly space for um, much more comprehensive studies of, of uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, the control correspondence out there. I mean,, um, uh euro putville that, that uh the university of antwerp has a has a hunch project on this at the moment that, that 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 there's there's certainly uh work to be done in that space and i mean there's there i th- yeah and I, I think there's more work to be done on yeah if well yeah, tips to think about your students if you know on um changes in uh thinking about probability i think there's there's still kind of a uh, there's some wonderful work on that, but I think there's still kind of a, a gap between between the 16th and the the, the early 18th century. Where, you know, it gets left over fairly quickly in, in the great work that does that does exist already uh, on this. So there's probably something there. I mean, in terms of stuff that I table, like the coolest thing that, I, that I've, I I didn't actually find it. Richard Goltz. Oh told, yeah! Oh sure, sure, sure. Is um, uh, yes, uh, and that uh, that didn't make it into the book was a was a book which is actually the the account book for bets on one particular particular paper election compiled by oh. by Martin Merchant. And that, yeah. that didn't make it into the book. But but I've written an article about that. But you know, I'll, that will be coming out in a in my. Uh, Probably not next year. Maybe maybe the year after in in a year or two, you know, as publication <laughs> timelines go. So yeah, there's certainly more
0: work to be done. In several areas. I mean that that transitions perfectly. The last thing I wanted to ask you that now you know now that uh, the book's done, it sounds like you do have a, a few things still spinning off from it. Uh, but what's the what's the next project? What's what are you know people should be excited about next from you?
1: Um. Yeah. So I do actually. Unlike you know, when I when I finished my year you know, the story
0: of sort of the evolution of this, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, Nick, the, there maybe is a financial crisis coming up. So you you know, there's more inspiration here for you if you need it.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. and no, I'm actually moving moving away from from financial crises in some ways, and uh so I have the, the the project I'm working on now. Um, is is a micro historical um project uh, so it's so a very sort of different thing looking at a um at uh, a single florentine family in the, in the first half of of the 16th century um who are uh, who did you know that several members of the family are um, you know uh, merchants who are active uh in southern spain and so they have access into the, the very early atlantic world and and the americas and but they're also still you know, trading in that uh, in the Mediterranean as well. And so the project's really about, and, but there is, sorry, as well as big merchants, there also are collectors, um, and a couple of them are, are friends with, uh, the Zarin and, 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 and intellectual circles there. So the project's about sort of the ways that, um commercial wealth and the sort of you know, emerging global economy and colonial expansion. Uh, and then the, the sort of the creation of the idea of the Renaissance, thing, you know, the the sort of intellectuals at the Fonte, court in the mid sixteenth century, doing the way that all these things sort of collide and interact uh, in around the middle of the sixteenth century. And looking looking at that through through the experience through the lens of this this single um, mercantile family in, in France. So so that's what's that's what's um, Got me,
0: got me excited and got me working um, at the moment now. Right. that's great. I I'm excited to read to read more about it. It sounds it sounds fabulous. Yeah. Thank you. Um. Well, you know, just just to sort of conclude here, thanks so much. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Nick Baker, who's a associate professor of early modern European and Mediterranean history at Macquarie University, and we've been talking about his book in Fortune's Theater, Financial Risk and and the future in Renaissance Italy, which is out now. It's a great book. Uh, thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. Thank you, thank you, Marty. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been great to great to talk with you. Uh, it's been great. Uh, you've been listening to the New Books Network in Early Modern History, a channel on the new, uh, on the New Books Network. Uh, my name is Mike Martoccio. Thank you so much for listening.